hey what's up guys real quick if you can just really quick i'm not going to take more than like maybe 30 seconds or less i'm already taking more of your time but anyways scroll all the way to the bottom of the show notes of this podcast episode and if you need any of those services that our sponsors provide please use those links it helps us out a ton you can click on the images it helps us out a ton it's a fantastic way to support the dental marketer podcast so please, if you need to work with Dandy, if you want a free scanner, if you need Mango Voice, if you need free phone services, if you need CareStack, you're looking for a new practice management software and you want a cloud-based software, make sure you check out CareStack. They're offering all you guys exclusive deals. So scroll all the way to the bottom of the show notes and check them out. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias. And in this episode, I am speaking with Dr. Francisco Nieves. Every doctor gets my cell phone. Make sure they have it. Even if it's a doctor for, you know, once a month or once in a blue moon, I'd rather them, because I don't work with them often, call me and let me know what's going on. I'm assuming they usually work with someone else, but for whatever reason, they're working with me. So I just want to make sure we're on the same page because I'm just not familiar with how they typically would treat a plan. So that's always my preference. But I actually had a have a good referring doctor who one dentist used to give them like Texas Rangers tickets and, you know, buy Kinder Scott earrings for all their staff. Mm-hmm. But he just didn't like working with the office. He was like, dude, he could send me tickets every single week and it wouldn't really matter because ultimately I, I care about my patients. And it was like, I can afford to buy my own baseball tickets. Yeah. But I really, if, if my patients aren't having a great experience, I'm not going to send them there anymore, right? So ultimately, I was like, yeah, I can send them goodies and show them that I appreciate the business. But ultimately, it's really about the relationship and make sure that patient is is taken care of. Wonderful guy, wonderful guest. This is a great episode, especially if you're a specialist looking to be an endodontist. That's what uh, Francisco is. He opened up his own practice. But before we dive into his business, because he just opened it up, well, we rewind a little bit, talk about his past, uh, why he went to Houston for dental school, which is Houston, as you guys know, maybe you don't know, but Houston is my hometown. So he went to Houston for dental school, then he went to Rutgers in New Jersey, and he worked there a little bit uh, throughout his past or throughout that time, he was married. So he talks to us a little bit about his personal life, how he got through a lot of those things. And then um, he worked in Fort Worth for a few years. And then he wanted to explore other areas. And he worked part-time where he's at right now, Granberry. And so we discussed that, what he learned in the process of working for these other practices. We discussed a lot of the great systems he decided to implement in his practice that he's in right now. One thing I like that we talk about is how he is dealing with employees, employees who ghost him and employees who have mental breakdowns. And so listen into that because this is valuable information that, I mean, if you haven't had an employee who has ghosted you or has had mental breakdowns, you will. And listen to see how Francisco handles that, right? We also discuss uh, what you will be dealing with as an endo practice owner if you decide to, to dive into that field, right? And so he literally uncovers everything for us, what he has to deal with. And he also lets us know about how you have to have a good referral base or else you'll hate coming to work. You'll have to overdo things, right? And we, we discuss that. We discuss how he grew his referral base fairly quickly and how. And this is 
interesting information, not just for specialists, but also for anyone, right? Any general practice who needs a consistent, I guess, pipeline of patients being referred. This is fantastic for you. We also discuss how he lost referrals. I like how he mentions you don't completely lose a referral. You'll just lose the volume. And so you'll start noticing when you start losing volume and how you can handle that, how you can better it. We also talk about quiet quitting, which is a hot topic right now. Quiet quitting is like where the employees still there, but they're not performing how they used to. They're just dead. They're silent. They're working on something else in their life. And they just, they're just there because they're like, hey, I need a check. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm going to do the bare minimum or less if that. So we discuss that, how he handles it. And we discuss so much more on how he built his practice. So guys, without further delay, here is Francisco Nieves. Francisco, how's it going? It's going well. Going well. Thanks for having me. No, man. Thank you for coming on and being a part of this. If you don't mind me asking, we were talking about it a little bit before, but uh, where are you located? I'm in Granbury, Texas. It's about 30 miles southwest of Fort Worth. Nice little retirement lake town here in Texas. Why did you pick there? You know, I'm originally from Fort Worth. That's where I grew up. We actually used to play a lot of sports against Granbury. So we used to come down here quite a bit. And when I practiced in the Fort Worth area, I had quite a few referring doctors from Granbury and the surrounding towns. And, um, you know, a lot of patients would drive an hour and a half, 45 minutes, sometimes two hours to come see us in Fort Worth. But then I realized, you know, there's not really a full-time endodontist down there. You know, uh, I should probably explore and, and see why. Spoke to a few other people and they didn't think there was a population that could support a full-time endodontist. And so I didn't listen and I ended up here. <laughs> You're like, I didn't listen. Yeah. What sports were you, did you play? I swam. So I actually swam my whole life. I swam in college. I swam for the national team in Puerto Rico. Um, so it was, it was a good, good career. That was never a thing where you're like, I'm going to do this forever. No. I'm full time. I'm going to make this happen. No, it was not Michael Phelps. So there's, there's very, very few professional swimmers. And I, was, I wasn't that good. I just paid for college. So yeah. Also, it was like a, did you get like a, um, a scholarship? Yeah, scholarship. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to a small school near Buffalo, New York. Oh, wow. Okay. That's awesome, man. So tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So, I mean, I went to St. Bonaventure University near Buffalo, New York, a small Catholic school in the hills in Western New York. Loved it. Had a great time there. And um, was super lucky. You had brand new science facilities. But I knew early on, back when I was in high school, I wanted to be a dentist. I shadowed up an orthodontist that swam. He was a master's world champion, Steve Wood. I mean, he's just an incredible swimmer and swam at Auburn. And he... Um, just one winter break asked what I was doing. I was like 16 or 17 years old. And he said, hey, come shadow my office so you can figure out what you want to do when you grow up. So I did. And I love the fact that he, you know, was a small business owner. He was out in Weatherford, a small town, had great relationships with the referring doctors. His dad was a dentist. He was very passionate about it. So I just kind of looked up to him. And um, from a very early age, I realized that I wanted to be a dentist. So I went to St. Bonaventure and then went to Houston to dental school. And there, the endo program is pretty impressive. All pre-docs have to use a microscope for endo. They have a, a massive clinic with a ton of global microscopes. So I thought that was really cool. And then um, they actually, you know, there's a lot of endo programs that they don't take uh, students straight out of dental school. You either have to do a GPR or work for a while. So Houston was one of those. They didn't take any students straight out of school, or at the time they didn't. So I went to Rutgers in New Jersey. Um, I got to know the program director there and had an amazing experience. 
It's a great program. And it was a brand new clinic. They had awesome microscopes, cone beams, and New Jersey Medicaid covers everything. So they cover retreatments and root canals, apicos, cone beams. So we got, you know, a ton of patients because uh, our treatment was covered. So I got a lot of good experience there. When I graduated, I worked in Fort Worth for a few years. And then um, from the first practice, I kind of split off and I wanted to kind of uh, explore other areas, other parts of the Metroplex. So uh, I worked by the airport part-time and then I actually worked in Granbury part-time. I shared space with a periodontist a couple days a week. And then I grew the referral base enough to where I could open full-time. And that's where you're at right now, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how long have you had this practice for? March. Oh, man. Okay. So it's been brand new. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. man. That's good stuff. Okay. We'll dive into that right now. But you went to Houston to dental school, right? Mm-hmm. Is that because you got your scholarship there? No. Uh, so originally I was in a program at the University of Buffalo. And then you know, my grades and my DAT scores were good enough to where I just felt confident I could apply uh, to Texas. It's less expensive by a lot. And so I chose there. You know, there are three great schools in Texas. It's just Houston happened to have the, the newest building and uh, it was nice and shiny. So I went there and had a lot of good vibes in my interviews and decided to go there. Man, never once when you're in Houston, you're like, I'm going to I'm going to stay here. I'm going to open up something here or not. Nah. No, there's too many dentists there. It's very saturated. Uh, and yeah, I, I enjoyed my few years there, but the traffic's insane. I, I had to get out of the city. Clearly yeah. in, in a rural area, but yeah, yeah, and it's busy. I get you. So that compared to Rutgers in New Jersey, right? And you said Medicaid cover everything. Working there, being there, what did you learn about yourself? You know, going there, New Jersey. I mean, turned some 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 coal into diamonds out there. But um, <laughs> I used to joke it was the sandpaper to my soul. Um, but I I I enjoyed. I loved my two years in New Jersey in residency. Obviously, because, you know, Medicaid covers so much, the reimbursement's not very high. So there's not a ton of dentists who who take it. So, I mean, we were providing a great service to that community. But I guess the main thing I learned while I was at Rutgers was to stay humble. I mean, honestly, just, you know, take everything on the chin and grow from it. Because there's just so many growing pains. You really just don't know what you don't know. And um, even in private practice, when I graduated, there were so many things I learned and the first two years that, you know, I, I can't believe now I didn't know. So really just being open-minded and just, you know, taking on the chin whenever you screw up or, or you know, a, a resident of yours, you know, has a mistake and, and you didn't even know that, you know, just being humble and learning from that, not judging someone else. And, and I, I think I carry that today when I talk to other dentists and they learn something from me that I just assumed everyone knew because the endo is such in their little bubble you know, just to be humble and, and just understand everyone has a different journey to learning dentistry. I mean, it's a practice of dentistry. We don't know everything. And I'd be, you know, I'm humbled every single day. So, yeah, that's good, man. I like that. I like that a lot to remain humble. Never once were you like, eh, I might just do general now. I don't feel like doing endo or anything like that. Or I, I hated removable so much in dental school that I like could never, I can't do it. <laughs> Like, I have patients like, oh, can you adjust my partial line here? I'm like, I don't have that burr. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was traumatized by some some very, very flat arches when I was in uh, in uh, dental school. That I, just, I was like, man, if I could just do one tooth at a time, that'd be amazing. And so. And you do that. Yeah. <laughs> Got you, man. Okay. This whole time, 
when you were moving from Houston to Rutgers, then Fort Worth to now Granbury, were you married? Did you have kids? Yeah. So uh, I married my college sweetheart. So we got engaged right before dental school residency. I got married right after residency before private practice. So, uh, okay. You know, some people yeah. kind of say like, Hey man, you know, figure out what you're going to do and then start doing it. And then some people are like, nah, man, love, like do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which, no, I mean, she's just like, she's from New York. She's from Rochester, New York from um, upstate. And so uh, when she finished her grad program, she moved down with me in Houston and we got engaged a couple of years later after living together in Houston. She's a teacher. So she taught, she was my sugar mama. So uh, <laughs> while I was a broke student, she was a uh, teacher kind of supporting us. And she taught in New Jersey, in Newark, just down the street from residency. She saw some stuff for sure. When I started working, we, we had kids. So she's not teaching now. Um, she's just taking care of our, our two little ones. Yeah. Nice to teach them. You know what I mean? Like, it's good. So awesome, man. So then from that point on, you worked in Fort Worth, you said, for a few years. As an associate or what were you doing there? I was an associate. <laughs> okay. What'd you learn from there? What were some things you learned from there where you're like, I want to take this to my own practice and some things you're like, I never, ever want to do this, what you're doing to me. Yeah. No, I mean, the office I worked in was great. It was a great experience. I had a network office. The office had been there since the 80s. And then uh, a dentist acquired it. And then I acquired it in 2011, 2012. So I had a lot of great loans, a great uh, referral base. One of the assistants there had been there since, I want to say the 90s or something. She had, she's, you know, kind of like the mother hen of the practice. Um, so I had a, a lot of great systems to learn from. Um, obviously, you know, as an associate, there's always things like, oh, what if we did this? You know, we implemented this dental software or whatever. And you get in private practice and you see why, you know, maybe an owner wouldn't want to to do that. But no, it was, it was a great opportunity to work and learn. Um, there, you know, there was a really opportunity to own or be a partner there, which is why, you know, ultimately that's what I wanted to do. But I mean, it was a great office to to leapfrog from. I've really learned systems. Um, we start implementing some great technology there. I use a gentle wave procedure every single day in my own office. And I learned that um, being in my first office in Fort Worth. So that's good, man. That's awesome. So you learned some really, really great systems when it came to, I guess, like owning a business, right? Because you said there was no partnership there. Have you always wanted to own a business or when did that kind of strike? Um, I would loosely say yes, because you don't really know like, oh, I want to own. Like when you're young, you don't really know what that means. <laughs> but I think it really, uh, I had that affirmation in residency just talking to the faculty that had their own office. And they, I mean, they, they would tell you, you know, your best and worst days are as an owner, um, just because of the ridiculous stuff you have to deal with day in, day out. But I mean, to have that equity put in over a lifetime is, is very rewarding. I mean, there's, there's several obvious benefits to owning a practice, but there's a level of middle capacity one needs to have uh, to handle some of those struggles. Cause there's, there's some, there's some rough days, not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, but hearing that from other people before I opened helped me as an early owner, knowing that, okay, other people go through this. Other people have working interviews where no one shows up or you hire someone and they just dis disappear and ghost on you. I mean, you have a full schedule and you have no staff, you know, there's just kind of crazy things that happen that you just have to roll with. Yeah, man. What were one, one or a couple of things where you, 
you would hear it before you open the practice. And then you open it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is what they were talking about. I'm feeling this yeah. right now. What were some of those things? One of those things were, you know, I've never experienced this, but like stuff like embezzlement. Like I've talked to several dentists like, yeah, I mean, I, I hired this person, super trustworthy or, you know, they went to my church and all of a sudden I'm noticing on my EHR, I have this collections on my bank account. I don't have these collections. And sure enough, any cash patient they're keeping it or, you know, their checks where they're writing it to themselves. Like, that's never happened to me, but stuff like that, I've heard that from so many dentists, at least half a dozen I've heard that from. Stuff, you know, staff just kind of dipping out and you never hear from them ever again. I've had two working interviews where I had them come in, they seemed fine, and I never heard from them again. I couldn't even get their address or anything to write them a check for showing up that day. Can't even see them. I've had staff just have really bad days and have mental breakdowns and, you know, get to give them their peace. You know, just there's so much life outside of the office that you just have to be prepared for. I've had AC units break down. There was, you know, 85 degrees in the office. I had to go to Walmart and buy eight fans to cool everything down. I've had it, crickets just show up out of nowhere like it came out of the Bible. Just, you know, come <laughs> yeah. in after a big, you know, big rainfall and we have to figure something out. Um, but I've heard this, you know, from other people, you know, it's kind of crazy stuff. You just show up to work early, get it ready to go and make sure, you know, everything's great for patients. And a lot of times the good patients are understanding. Obviously, Nendo, there's people in pain and they can seemingly be irrational at that time point because they're excruciating pain. And you just, you just have to manage it somehow and make yeah. sure they're happy and obviously make sure the referring doctor is happy as well. Yeah, that's true, man. We'll, we'll dive into that part right now because I want to know a little bit about that. But what were some unexpected things for those listening who are like, I've been wanting to get into endo. What are some things that you want to let them know? Like, hey, this is, this is what you're going to be dealing with as a practice owner uh, if you do want to jump into endo and own your own practice. Yeah, I think the big thing for any specialist is just um, referral outreach and partnership. A lot of people call it referral management, but, you know, I'm not managing my referrals. I'm, I'm partnering with them and just maintaining those relationships. I always think that's a really weird term, but really it's just finding the right referring doctors, partnering with them, make sure your philosophies match and um, see if you can be extension of their practice. And I think that's something that's undervalued unless you've worked for a while because they really are... Um, and there, I would call them almost like the lifeblood of your practice. If you don't have a good referral base, you're probably going to hate coming to work. You may not be working with, you know, the best doctors you want to work with, or maybe it's a doctor who doesn't love the office they're working with and just kind of dumping junk in your schedule. Um, that's such a, a huge impact. And I think if you go into a really saturated market that's really competitive, um, those really top referrals that people want to work with, they, they may gravitate to their office. So that's a part that's a struggle. And, and honestly, it, I didn't really deal with that so much my first year or so out of practice, but the office I worked in, it didn't have, you know, a jam-packed schedule as soon as I got in. I had to go, you know, drive, you know, hour and a half to different small towns and introduce myself to try to increase my referral base. And I did. And that's one of the things I did. I just happened to drive out to Granbury and Stephenville and all these small towns early in my career and built relationships only to realize this area really needs a full-time endodontist. So just understanding the psychology behind referral partnerships and, you know, about the stresses and rewards involved with that, it's really important. Communication is huge. I mean, I'll spend my a good chunk of my evening just calling dentists um, just to talk to them about a patient, um, touch base with a complicated diagnosis. You know, maybe they sent for 15, but it's actually 14 and 15, but 
you know, there's, there's some weird things going on. Maybe we should consider extraction with replacement. You know, there's, there's so many ways to go. And until you can start mind reading some of your referrals, communication is so big and getting the best outcome. Yeah. Have you ever gotten like a referral where they were like, not unpleasant, but like they give you headaches a lot. They're like, no, 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 this is how I want it. But they kind of didn't really take your professional opinion. You know what I mean? What do you do in that situation? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, I always put the patient first, right? You know, um, my philosophy here when I hire a staff member is treat patients like them. And that's the reason why I wanted to open this office is when people come here, they feel like they're a close friend or family and they feel very comfortable because anxiety is such a big deal. But whenever I have a patient that is kind of stuck between my opinion and the referring doctor's opinion, ultimately, I leave it to them. It's like, listen, just decide what's best for you with the person you trust. Obviously, you've been with the sales for 15 years. You're with them because they haven't led you astray. If you want to go in their, their opinion, go with it. You know, I, I'm just a data point, but this is your doctor who's going to take care of you. If you value their opinion, just go go with them. And um, if you're unhappy with any consultation, we're giving you, I'm more than happy to give your money back if you feel like this is a waste of time. Usually most patients, you know, appreciate my opinion and say the doctor says, you know what, I'd rather, instead of doing the retreat, I'd rather you just have the tooth pulled implant. I'm very cool with that. You know, it's, that's what that dentist is more comfortable with. And generally speaking, most patients will be more trustworthy with their general dentist if they have a good relationship with them. Yeah, sometimes you get an angry patient who's mad at their general dentist for X, Y, and Z, and there's nothing you can do about that. I always call those doctors and explain, hey, this patient have the nice thing to say about you. I defended you and said, you're, you have a great reputation. Your work's great, but we can't make everyone happy. And then, you know, we try to talk about that. But ultimately, in my experience, the patients are generally going to trust their general dentist. So you got to defer to them. Yeah. How do you build up these referrals, man? Like assuming like you're on a clean slate right now, you're just building up. Do you walk in, drop off gift baskets or what do you do? Well, I mean, I, I do a lot of the marketing myself and a lot of the a lot of offices usually will hire a front desk or a staff member to go and regularly meet up with doctors but i like to to meet the front desk myself i might bring my front desk with me to meet the other front desks especially if there's a new hire front desk but i'll you know pretty regularly i'll bring breakfast burritos or lunch or snacks um i make coffee mugs with my logo so everyone have a nice coffee mug um but every doctor gets my cell phone Make sure they have it. Even if it's a doctor for you know once a month or once in a blue moon, I'd rather them because I don't work with them often. Call me and let me know what's going on. I'm assuming they usually work with someone else, but for whatever reason they're working with me. So I just want to make sure we're on the same page because I'm just not familiar with how they typically would treatment plan. So that's always my preference. But I actually had to have a good referring doctor who one dentist used to give them like Texas Rangers tickets and you know buy Kinder Scott earrings for all their staff. But he just didn't like working with the office. He was like, dude, he could send me tickets every single week and it wouldn't really matter because ultimately I, I care about my patients. And it was like, I can afford to buy my own baseball tickets. Yeah. But I really, if, if my patients aren't having a great experience, I'm not going to send them there anymore, right? So ultimately I was like, yeah, I can send them goodies and show them that I appreciate the business. But ultimately it's really about the relationship and make sure that patient is, is have, taken care of. Yeah. If you don't want me asking, Francisco, how many practices refer to you? That's a great question. Being in like a smaller area, I think the last time I checked, we have like 40 or 50 dentists that we work with. 
ingrained in not every single day. And there's like, you know, some practice with three or four dentists. So that's where like the 40 to 50 comes from. But when I was in Fort Worth, you know, it, we had over a list of over 100, you know, 115. Granted, some of these people get referred twice a year, but they're still kind of in a Rolodex. So there's just the grand, when you're in a bigger city, your Rolodex is so much bigger. I mean, I was talking to, in Austin, Dallas, they had over 200 in the Rolodex because there's just so many people that would work with you. Granted, you know, maybe 20 to 30 when you have that many are really responsible for the majority of your collections. But being in a smaller town, it's, you know, really active, like 30 to 40, and then some fringe referrals every now and then. Man, okay. So you have, I mean, that's a lot. Like, you know what I mean? Just thinking uh, you alone. Think, like, but like, only, I would say, you know, 10 of those are like 50% of your, of your collections, right? Like you, you have all, it's sort of like patients. When you look at, uh, you know, all your patients and how many, you know, contribute to your total collections, not all of your 2000 are equally contributing to your annual collections. There's only a small percentage that actually require procedures, you know? So, yeah. So then you continuously to these 40 to 50, give them, you know what I mean? Like constant attention. You're, I don't know, something rolls around. You're like, hey, just wanted to give you a nice gift as a thinking about you type of thing. Do you have a budget for that? Or I have, yeah, I do. I have a general budget. Uh, what I do is um, I try to block off a morning, especially early in a startup. I used to block off. Actually, when I first started working, I blocked off every Wednesday. I wouldn't work on Wednesdays. Granted, I didn't have enough patient flow to work on Wednesdays, but I would block off Wednesdays and I would drive in one area of town and I would just get goodies and cards or whatever and just, you know, go to all these dentists. And I'd have a little notepad and just write down a fact about that dentist because I may never hear from him for a year. I mean, I had people I worked on to refer to me for a year and a half before they finally referred to me. And that's the thing, persistence is key. It's like, okay, well, this guy keeps showing up, whatever, I'll just show him a case. And if they're happy and pressed, they might show you, be like, okay, instead of being my number four guy, he's now my number two guy. My main guy is too busy. Mm -hmm. And then say the main guy retires or moves or hires an associate that they don't like or whatever, now become their main guy. Yeah. And I fortunately, you know, that happened to me when I was in four um, for several doctors. And you know, after a year and change, you get a lot busier. And I think persistence is just key and just letting people know you're here, you're going to take good care of their patients if they need it. And if they value that relationship, they'll, they'll refer to you. Yeah. Okay, man, that's good. That's good. How you like continue to nurture them, right? And persistence. Yeah. Now, rewind a little bit. We were talking about mental breakdowns that your employees have and like the ghosting, right? When it came to the ghosting, do you ever like kind of reevaluate and be like, okay, what did, where did I go wrong? What happened here? What, where can we fix it? Do you ever do that or no? Oh my gosh. There's no more self-conscious moment where like a, a system doesn't show up. You're like, man, what did I do? I smell bad. Did I treat him bad? Like you start rewinding every conversation you've ever had. Like, man, I guess it like they did comb cut that x-ray and I could have been nicer about it. Like you just start microanalyzing ridiculous stuff. And it, it just, there's so many things outside of your control. You forget, you know, you're just a job, right? Like, and they, they could be great, but ultimately there's so many things in life that happen after five o'clock that are outside of your control. And all these assistants, you know, they're young, right? They have a whole life ahead of them and maybe they want a career change or they just don't see outside in the job. I'll probably never get that answer, but honestly, it's just, in my opinion, I care more about their 
or happy or safe or figure out and become happy, I would hate to have an employee that re- hates coming here every day. It's kind of like that. Idea. I don't know. I've been reading lately about like silent quitting where it's like you want to quit and you kind of like just mentally just check out and you just kind of go through the motions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something it's kind of been in the media lately, just this idea of like silent quitting. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen that happen. And until you really experience that, you say like, they're not happy. Maybe they were awesome to work with, but now they're kind of getting a little sloppy or they're a little not as polite to patients. And at that point, you're like, okay, this, what's going on here? And something at life, or they're just, you know, not happy with being assistant. And it's fine. That's silent quitting right there where it's like, you're still there physically, but you're just like, I don't even care anymore. Like that type of. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just kind of like mentally phasing out. And they're like trying, they're maybe they're in between like, I don't know what I want to do next, but I don't want to do this, but I got rent to pay. Like I, I just, I've seen that since I've graduated yeah. and I've seen that in sports. You know, I don't know if you've, you've played sports at all. James Harden. Yeah. 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 It's, oh, <laughs> don't even start. But like <laughs> yeah. that with athletes where there's like, they're not happy anymore, but they're getting yeah. paid and there's, listen, if I, you know, just play enough, I just show up and score 20. I'm good. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally see. That. I didn't know that was a thing. Silent quitting. Huh? That's interesting, man. That's really, really good to know. So then, the ghosting, I never, let me ask you real quick. Were you able to fill those positions up or no? The ones you were like, yeah, I mean, I, I think I pushed more towards cross training at that point. So, okay. you know, if, a, if a, a front desk, you know, were to quit, um, you know, I could have an assistant kind of fill in that role very quickly. I think when you have more redundancies in place, that helps. The only problem is, is no one's, you, you're not going to really have a, it's rare to find a jack of all trades at the same time. So it's just at time. When I first opened up, I just wanted to fill my staff spots. Like they seem great. They have great resume. They have um, great recommendations. I'm going to hire them. And then they just realize they're not a good fit. You know, there's definitely a personality component beyond the resume. And so now, you know, right now I have a job on Indeed looking for an assistant, but I'm going to leave it on there until I find the right one. You know, I'm just going to, someone that has a great resume that swings by and they have a great working interview and I'll hire them, but I'm not just going to hire anyone at this point in time. I think the the vibe and the environment is so important in a small endo office. I've, I have a small staff, and most endo offices do have a small staff that, you know, one bad personality can really, really make it a miserable experience. I learned that very quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, would you ever hire someone who ghosted you? And then they're like, hey, man, I'm sorry. Like, I just was going through so much in life, but... I'm here now. It's three months, five months, a year later, right? And you're like, well, I kind of haven't fulfilled the position. Yeah. Or would you or not? I think my staff would be pissed. They'd be so mad. Uh, because they like, you know, we put on a schedule, like welcome person to come in today. And we get all excited for them and they just don't show up. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, they're going to show up again. They're like, no, absolutely not. Why would you? And it's funny. I was just looking on Indeed and sure enough, there was someone with a great resume, great she used to work with one of my staff members in another office and she had great things. And she absolutely, you know, totally did the whole, oh, well, he's offering me this much money and then went back to their employer and just kind of just used our ad and in, in job offer to counter their current job. Uh-huh. They had no actual intention work. So she didn't show up her first day of work and then just said, just kidding, I'm staying at my job. But she just showed up on Indeed. I'm like, she was such a good applicant, but I would never hire you know? Yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I always wondered that. I'm like, because I think about that sometimes. I'm like, oh, should I? But you yeah. hurt me already. But I don't know, you know, so. 
Talk to me about mental breakdowns, man. How does that work? How do you deal with that? Let me ask you, have you ever had to deal with a mental breakdown or no? Have I had one before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, for sure. I mean, not necessarily in the workplace, but man, like, I mean, there's just some stressful where it's like, man, where do I go? You know, you start yeah. panicking and, you know, you just take a step back and you breathe and you think about it. But I mean, I've, I know people with anxiety and stuff like that. I understand I mean, it's a lot of times out of your control. And endo can be stressful. I mean, you have people in pain who have angry patients that might be angry at a doctor. I have a doctor who's calling that needs to get their patient in. And you have, you know, seven people you're trying to work in and they're not calling you back. And then they call you back when you try to work someone in. So the front desk can get stressed and overwhelmed dealing with, with tough personalities. And then the back can get overwhelmed dealing with tough personalities. And then say a case, you know, they, they're forgetting stuff or a case that should take like 45 minutes an hour is taking longer because the room's not set up. And I'm like, hey, you know, what's going on? Things can, can get intense sometimes after a long, long week. So yeah, I mean, sometimes people need to take a break. And I just tell them, hey, just go outside. We have a Brahms. Do you have Brahms in Houston? You know Brahms. No. Like a, it's a fast food burger place with a grocery store and really good ice cream. I keep a Brahms gift card in our office. I'm like, go take the gift card, get yourself a milkshake and just like take a break. Like just relax for a little bit, cool off and we'll get back, we'll get back on it. It's kind yeah. of what I tell them. Like, That's just, what you tell your team. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take a break. And like, it, it could be really crappy because we could be in the middle of a swarm or something. And like, listen, like for you to continue here and do your job rightly, just, just take a, take a minute. And um, that seems to help. It doesn't happen often, but I mean, it, it can happen to anyone. There could be things outside your life that's stressing you out. You know, I've, I've had staff members that you know a pet is dying or their father's dying or they're having issues at home with their parents. Like there's just so many things and they have to show up here at 7.30 with all that in their mind. And then a patient's, you know, being rude to them for whatever reason, first thing at 7.30, I have to deal with this. So I just tell them, hey, I got this patient. I'll, I'll do whatever that needs to be done. Just take a break and we'll get going. But, you know, you got to take care of your staff. And they're so yeah. important. Yeah, that's true. How many uh, employees do you have? So I have two front desks and two assistants. Okay. So four, one four, uh, one of my assistants is cross-trained for the front and one of my front desks is cross-trained as assistant. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, man, that's that's awesome that you do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hey, man, go milkshake break. Like, go yeah. go have one. Because if they're having a mental breakdown and then, like, you still try to keep them in there, I feel like I'd be stressed out. Like, you know, oh, like, like, well, I, and I've done that. The, the reason why I do this is because I've done that. I'm like, no, you need to get back. I remember the biggest mistake I made was like, all right, you need to, like, calm down and we have two patients lobby we're already 10 minutes behind or 15 minutes behind. We need to get them going. And it didn't go well. Like the patient was like, what is up with my, that assistant? Because they're short. They're like, their eyes are like kind of red. I'm like, hey, why, did I, why did I throw that assistant back in the fire? Because what happens is, is that assistant's going to turn around and tell the doctor, don't ever send me back there. One of my first months, I had a patient, granted, she was kind of high maintenance. Even the dentist called me before and said, hey, this patient's pretty high maintenance. Mm -hmm. She straight up said like, hey, this is amateur hour. Just because like I had an assistant we called her the other day and the assistant was having trouble taking an x-ray. She's like, oh, this is amateur hour. So she didn't schedule treatment with us. But that assistant had a terrible, like she had a rough day that day. And I, I honestly should have just done the consult myself and taken over. I just didn't have the, the foresight to just do that. So yeah. Yeah, if things aren't looking good or like I said, this occurs like once every few months, but yeah, it's something you don't forget. Where's the line, Francisco, where you're like, man, you know what? I could have done better. I could have done this. I understand you're going through something. 
fine. You know, take a breather to where it's like, dude, we've lost seven patients because of you. Like, this is yeah. ridiculous. You know, where's the line? I mean, after, probably after the second patient. Um, this is a recurring thing, you know, where it's affecting patient care. And that's the whole point of, hey, I can see to, to look at someone who's had a rough day or has had a rough, you know, string of patients because we, we see a lot of people in pain. It, it can be tough. It can be excruciating. You know, the, our average age is like seven or no, 69 is our average age population. They're pretty elderly. So we have patients that they can't recline back. I'm doing endo like under a microscope standing, my assistant standing, and, you know, we're, we're sweating trying to do this. And then we have another person who's, you know, gagging and now needs nitrous and halcyon to, to relax. You know, we, we deal with some personalities. And if that, if we have five patients in a row that are tough, it can be pretty exhausting. So to kind of tap out your assistant and be like, hey, let's get lunch for everyone and let's just take a break or, you know, let's get some milkshakes for everybody or, hey, next, tomorrow morning we get breakfast fritos, just something to get everyone back up is, is good. Yeah. It kind of goes, man. It goes with your your personality, I would say. What yeah. the type of work and patience you have. Because you're telling me, like, you got to be humble in this game, right? Absolutely. And if you're like, no, I'm the best, I don't think you'd be able to, you know what I mean? Be in this. Yeah. I mean, you'll get humbled one way or another. Or you'll just be blind to the realities of what's going on. Because you, like, you'll have good days and bad days. I mean, you have way more good days and bad days. And at least in Endo, I, today was a good day, I'll say. Today, I had a nice day. Not because, you know, I saw patients, but my patients were great. And um, I liked my cases and my, my staff, for the most part, was happy. And you know, today's a good day. But, I mean, there'll be days where, you know, the case didn't come out the way you wanted and you want to bring them back to, to make the case nice. Or, you know, um, you had a hot tooth that was a pain to get under control and your, your patient felt pain at the beginning of the procedure. That's not fun. I don't want my patients to feel any pain. So those are those are the best situations. But you just have to understand it's okay and things are going to be fine. That's good, man. Have you ever had to so far? Because you opened, you said in March, right? Mm -hmm. Have you had to let go of anybody so far? I haven't had to let go of anyone so far. I've had to kind of have the conversation of, do you want to be here? And if you don't, you should probably leave. And then they were just like, you know what? I, I want to do something else. Like I had an assistant, he decided to work in a factory. He wanted to work nights. He didn't like waking up early. So he was like, yeah, I just, I don't like waking up this early. I want to work later in the day. So I'm going to, I found a job. He was moving anyways. Yeah. I want to work in a factory. So I'm like, all right, man, well, <laughs> you can go. You can go work in a factory. Like, you know, your oyster. Yeah. So I'd have to let him go. But you just kind of just have to feel him out. Like, hey, I just know. And he was a great assistant. It just, he was showing up late and was just super tired and groggy. And then once he got his energy going, he was fine. But. It affects the whole team if everyone's mm. not ripping and So I pulled them aside. I'm like, hey, what's going on in life right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, for real. Like, especially in the morning, like, that sets the tone. You know what I mean? And Yeah, yeah. He's so, like, oh, like, uh, yeah, and no, I get you. How do you, or have you lost any referrals or no? Like, as far as people who sent you the practices, has any of them, like, said, hey, we're not going to send you anymore? No, honestly, I'm like going, I don't think I've lost anybody. Thank goodness. But I've just opened. So yeah. I, I like, yeah, I haven't lost anyone. I've only gained referrals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. I think what tends to happen is you don't completely lose a referral. You'll lose the volume of the referrals because you'll have, you'll have patients that you've seen before you've treatment planned. Um, 
but I haven't absolutely like, you know, can don't ever refer to this office ever again. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I will at some point in time, but just not, not in this first six months of being open. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, actually, that what you said makes a lot more sense. Like, you're not going to completely lose a referral unless they're like super angry with you. And then they're like, you lost me, right? But other than that, they're just like, they'll probably tell their team, hey, maybe right now, let's not send them anything. You know what I mean? Actually, I take it back. I did lose a referral. I I, I think about it because it's been so long. There was a, um, like a a denture office, (laughs) but they had the the pre, you know, you know, it was like denture offices, like the chains and they, um, Sometimes they have a rotation of dentists. So there was two dentists there that referred quite a bit. And then I think they like changed their staffing. So they don't, I don't think they refer out any into anymore. I think they just like, you know, go somewhere else if you don't have this denture kind of thing. Yeah. They were previously doing crowns and restorative. So they were actually a pretty good referral base. I kind of forgot about them. But um, huh. yeah, I did, when I contacted, I was like, yeah, we're just, we're just doing dentures now. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. They kind of changed their yeah, yeah. Their Whole models. Gotcha. All right, man. So diving into your business real quick. You acquisition or was it a startup or startup? Startup. So how much was your build out? Yeah. So this was an existing dental office. There was a general dentist here. So this office space is fifteen forty square feet. It's four ops and so it's small. The ops are like nine and a half by ten or nine and a half by nine and a half. And the plumbing kind of needed to be redone. It needed kind of some new walls, new paint, new floors. Some of the nitrous stuff needed to be fixed up. It had no IT, so I had to do all the new IT. So I had budgeted 150000 to renovate the space. I had three different contractors come through. I had MedTech, Denco, which used to own MedTech, and they sold it and opened their own company. They're both, I think, based out of Dallas, MedTech and Denco. Hmm. Um, I was impressed with both of them. And then another company, it's a smaller company out of McKinney in Dallas called Green Road Road Construction, um, Johnny Shepperson. He actually used to work kind of with Excite Realty for a little bit, started his own thing. Um, He came in kind of with the lowest bid and best vision in my opinion, out of the three. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think he budgeted for just his part, so not the IT and stuff like that or, or medical gas, um, for like 110000 was his budget. And I think when he finished, it was like 97000 So he was thirteen grand under budget, which was great. I yeah. thought he was honest about it. He did a great job. I get a lot of compliments about the office. And uh, IT, I had to wire the whole office because they didn't have any internet <laughs> so yeah they didn't have yeah they didn't actually have an internet in office and that probably was 10 grand 12 grand um so you did your it or who did your it i use a local company okay yeah action computers here in granbury they're fantastic the owner i mean it's a husband and wife that <laughs> that runs it and they have some it guys under them um they're amazing um they did a beautiful job and then um i had a the MedGas group in, in Fort Worth, I think it's like North Texas MedGas or something like that. They came and fixed up some of the plumbing I needed for the nitrous. Gotcha, man. Awesome. Okay. So then it was like about roughly almost 100000 right? Yeah. It was So like with that, I would say it was probably like 115, 120. Okay. 115, 120. Okay. Yeah. Who'd you go with for your, your loan? So I went with a, a small bank here in Fort Worth, uh, Trinity Bank, and they're, they're incredible. Uh, I had worked, I'd reached out to Bank of America and 
because I had looked at acquiring a couple different offices. And I don't know, I've heard great things about Bank of America, but whoever I interviewed with had no idea anything about endodontics. And it was the weirdest thing is I was telling them, hey, this office, the revenues were this much, you know, the collections were this much, you know, sometimes endo offices are valued at about like 70% of collections, somewhere between 70 and 80%. It's kind of more or less what they're valued at. So I told them the number, the Bank of America guy was just stuck on, well, what about the patient charts? It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, the patient charts, like, are you just going to buy the patient charts? I'm like, I don't care about the patient charts. They already have root canals on them. Like they're not, they may come back, hopefully not, because that means I'm fixing a problem. Like I'm buying goodwill of the referrals. That's what matters. And he like could not, we are 30 minutes in this conversation, could not grasp this idea of a specialist buying goodwill of referral relationships, not the patients. And um, kind of just hung up. <laughs> I was like, I what? think we're a good match. And I just hung up on him. Oh, I, you hung up on him. I thought he hung up. I was like, <laughs> no, I hung up because I was like, I don't think this guy is competent to handle yeah. like what we're talking about here. So I, I could have probably gone up. I think startup would have been a lot easier to hmm. comprehend. But the acquisition thing, like if he couldn't handle that simple concept, I wasn't going to, you know, go that way. And then the next route I went was Wells Fargo and PNC. <laughs> PNC was going through the merger of BBA and that was a nightmare. Uh, I don't know if you heard about that, but yeah, they, really. they acquired BBA Compass Bank. Oh, wow. And um, the merger, they lost accounts, like actually lost accounts. And so everyone is all hands on deck on that. So I didn't hear emails back for like six weeks from PNC. But I loved everything that they were saying going up to that. They're just stuck in a rut. <laughs> well, Fargo was great. Underwriting was a little bit of a mess. Uh, they didn't like that I was working here part-time. So they, they thought it was like a little bit of a risk opening in an area that you're working part-time in, even though I cultivated the referral relationships. So they were just trying to, I don't know, they delayed the process a lot. So I eventually got all my paperwork, just submitted it to some local banks and Trinity Bank so they could do the deal. That's awesome, man. Was there any major delays during the construction phase or no? No, the biggest thing was that I would say for anyone starting out, uh, make sure the landlords have a blueprint of the office or a type of like layout of the office because they didn't. And that was a huge problem because I couldn't give any dimensions, exact dimensions to my construction team. Like they, they had to kind of guess and do some measurements themselves, but anything between the walls, they had no idea. And the landlords didn't have anything. So whoever built this office, I don't think they got permits. Hmm. So, or at least when I called the permitting office, they didn't have much. <laughs> so uh, that was interesting. So we, that took like two months to get blueprints from an architect, from the landlord. Um, so that, that was brutal. That was the delay. You were like, oh, yeah. Just a good start. But they actually finished ahead of schedule. Oh, nice. Okay, that's good. And so right now, would you consider you're saying like, I'm breaking even or I passed break even point already, like in what month? Yeah, I, I passed breaking event uh, by month three. So what I decided to do, so uh, Wells Fargo, based on everything that I had told them and what I needed, they wanted me to take like a 500, half a million dollar book. And I told them, I don't think I need that much. And they said, well, you're going to need working capital. And when I presented everything to Trinity Bank, they said, you don't need that much. But instead of giving you working capital because you have decent savings, how about we give you a $100,000 line of credit? And if you need to dip into that line of credit, 
you have it at your disposal, but we think you have the savings that if you just stay lean personally for the first three months, you just dip into your savings to do whatever you need to do. And they're right. And they're absolutely right. You know, I just didn't really pay myself for the first couple months. And then month three, I could pay myself. And then month four, I could pay myself more because I was just paying as much cash into things as possible. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, man, that's really good. That's really, really nice. And then from this point on, what systems did you like upgrade or anything like that? So what I started with, I furnished two ops. And so I um, had Belmont chairs. I got Belmont uh, cabinets. I worked really closely with Benco for that. They actually got me like floor room models. So that was the biggest thing is everything's delayed. So I had two ops that weren't ready to go, but very quickly I needed that a third op. And um, there's a local rep in Fort Worth, Reliable Dental. And he told me, hey, there's a dental office. They have chairs that are maybe eight years old, but they're also Belmonts. They're wanting to sell them for pretty cheap. Do you want to buy it? And I was like, so I bought them both. And that was my big upgrade. Probably like month three that I got there. But I kind of came in with a pretty high-tech office. I have a CareStream 8200, really nice comb beam. Um, I have the gentle wave system. It's completely changed how I practice in Adonics. Um, I have a big screen TV in each op so patients can see their comb beam. And then um, I just have a, a nice kind of digital office. Nice, man. Okay. What were some things where you're like, hey, I was worried about this before I'm open and you would even like maybe post about it or anything like that or look for comment. And then now you're like, yeah, that really didn't matter that much compared to what matters now. You're like, oh, this is what I should have done. A really good question. Um, working for a while, I kind of knew what the pitfalls were going to be. I don't know what I kind of overstressed about. Actually, I do know. So the biggest thing I was overstressed about was capacity early on. I knew my front desk pretty well before I hired her. And I told her, I just want to get two ops up and running just to save money. And she's like, this is stupid. I know you're going to be busy pretty quick. You, should, you need to get three ops. And... Um, I was so concerned about getting busy again in that town that I would just have a couple slow months and it was a non-issue. Just being there present, you know, four days a week, you're going to have emergency or two a day that the patient needs to be seen that day, that you're, you're going to be fine. And the doctors are going to appreciate that you're able to get someone in pain the same day or out of pain the same day. And in a small town, then, otherwise you have to drive another hour to another town to get a root canal done. So when a patient can just drive 15 minutes, that's, it's a big deal. Gotcha. Okay. That's good, man. Leads to my next, one of the final questions I want to ask you is throughout this time, I guess from the moment you decided, hey, I want to own a practice to like right now, today, right? Which was, today was a good day, right? In your eyes. What's been, I guess, some of the biggest struggles that you've had to endure or fails or pitfalls? I mean, staff retention's hard. I mean, I, I, every time someone's unhappy being a dental assistant or just, you know, wants to do something else, you get self-conscious and you wonder, you know, is this because of something I've done or something in the office? You know, I always feel like it's a failure. No, the thing is, like, if a patient doesn't have a great experience, you know, obviously that doesn't happen often. But if I, you know, we follow up every single patient the next day and if they you know, mentioned something that's not great. I mean, in my mind, that's a failure. I want everyone to have a, an amazing experience. Obviously, you can't make everyone happy, but you want everyone to have, you know, to leave here thinking this exceeded my expectation to get a root canal. And 
if that's not the experience that someone had, I feel like that's a, a failure. And hey, maybe it could be hard on myself, but I feel like if I don't have that mentality, I'm never going to get better. And I think so far I've taken a lot of feedback, even from my associate years to when I first opened. I mean, my wife was my first patient here. She actually needed a root canal. I know that's a HIPAA violation, but she gave me permission to tell people this. Um, <laughs> she was my first patient. And sure yeah. enough, she told me, it's like, everything went great. But I really didn't like, you know, my assistant like kind of ran out of hands and then put like the suction like on her, like kind of on her chest, but it was almost close to her neck. So like, everything was great, but I didn't like it when that rubber thing was on my neck. Like I felt like I was suffocating. Like, you mean the suction? It's like, yeah, like that really bothered. It's like, huh. And like just stuff like that, you would think it's not a big deal, but for a patient who everything's been fine for 45 minutes an hour, yeah. something rubbers on their neck, that kind of makes them panic. So just stuff like that, you just, you just learn. No matter how minor it might be to me, it can make all the difference for a patient. Yeah, that's true. When you, um, I guess when you hear that initially, especially the one with your wife, right? Do you kind of like get a little bit, well, that's because, you know, they don't have, sorry, they don't have a third hand, you know, or anything like yeah, that. They, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, like you defend like, oh, well, now she didn't have a hand, so they kind of just rested it there. And she was one of the first patient in my office. Yeah. And then I realized, like, oh, well, the reason why they don't, they don't have enough counter space. So it like made me think, why did my assistant have to do this? So I suggested the position of the chair a little bit closer to the counter so the assistant didn't have to like reach over. They could, you know, quickly play something. So it just wasn't ergonomic for the assistant. So I just made that adjustment. Yeah, that's good, man. That goes back to being humble, right? Like, you, yeah, you got to be able to take that, even though it stinks, especially from your wife, right? Like, you're yeah. like, oh, like, you, you just don't get it. Yeah. 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 You're like, you don't, you don't get how a real patient would have acted, right? But you're like, yeah. oh, she was a real patient, you know? And, uh, but a lot of patients won't say anything. Like, yeah. they, 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 a lot of them just, you know, the, they're too embarrassed to mention something like that. Something, you know, in my mind is kind of petty. But at the same time, you know, and she's your wife and she, she went, or she's my wife, not your wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She wants to make sure I'm successful. So I, I mean, and she was, I mean, when I talked to the assistant afterwards, she's like, yeah, I just, there's not enough counter here. So we, we fixed it. That's good, man. That's actually really good advice. You know what I mean? For starting up, like, you know how some people kind of do like a run through first and foremost and mm -hmm. get some really good critics in there like that, right? Like where they're like, hey man, this didn't feel comfortable. Even though it's something small, I mean, we, we don't think about it, right? You yeah. didn't think about it. We never would have thought about that. Interesting, man. Francisco, thank you so much for being with us, man. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, uh, I have an Instagram. I think it's called at Granberry Endonics. You can also find me on Facebook, Francisco Nieves. And I never check LinkedIn, but I'm there as well. Um, but I'm definitely on Instagram if you want to see some cases. Awesome. So guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below. So just go in the show notes below and, and check it out. Reach out to Francisco. And Francisco, thank you so much for being with us, man. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. All right, take care. Francisco, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast, man. We truly appreciate you. I appreciate everything uh, you've uh, uncovered for us in this episode. Guys, if you want to reach out to him, go on the show notes below and definitely um, click on, the, on any of the links under his name and then uh, reach out to him. At the same time, if you want to watch the video version of this podcast at any time, then you can do so. Just go below in the show notes and you can see the video. It's in our YouTube channel. But guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I appreciate you who's listening as well. Um, a fantastic way you can support the podcast is if you need anything from our sponsors. So if you scroll all the way to the bottom of the show notes, just literally scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see our sponsors, uh, CareStack, you'll see Mango Voice, you'll see Dandy. 
And uh, if you need any of their services, make sure you mention this podcast or just use those links, right? And schedule a free demo if you want on any of that or use their free phone services, completely free, no strings attached with Mango Voice. Or if you want to just talk with a dandy and you need a free scanner, reach out to them, use those links. It helps the podcast out a ton. It'll help you out as well. So guys, make sure you go do that. If you want to support the podcast, scroll all the way down to the show notes below and check out our sponsors. And thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. I appreciate you and I'll talk to you in the next episode.